Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Deuteronomy and the New Testament reading from Ephesians chapter 6, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know how interesting genealogies are to any of you. I mean, maybe you've spent a lot of time working on your family tree or your family members have. Maybe they've even traced family lines to certain countries, seeing how far back they can get. I mean, sometimes it takes quite a bit of time to track down wreckers. Sometimes it ends up with people actually visiting some of those other countries, going and finding gravestones or even finding family that still live there. Some of you might be adopted and you've had to look up your birth parents because you never knew them and you wanted to find out their lineage because you were interested in where you came from. For others of you, you might find genealogies to be of no interest to you. You don't really care all that much about where you come from. And in fact, just looking at a list of names is actually quite boring. Especially if you look at this long list of genealogies and it's just this person had this person who had this person who had this person and on and on and on. That actually might happen if you open up your Bible and end up in something like Genesis 5, which takes you from Adam to Noah. Or Genesis 11, which takes you from Shem to Abraham. Sometimes there are people who ask me who have never read the Bible before and they ask me where they should start. Well, if I were to say, start with the Gospels, and they open up to Matthew chapter 1, well, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, and it starts with Abraham. Luke chapter 3 takes you all the way back to Adam. Now, God's Word doesn't include these genealogies just for you to skip over them, because it's boring to read verse after verse of who gave birth to who. One of the purposes that we can see as to why they're included and which specific people are mentioned is because it shows us how God worked through all generations, starting with Adam and Eve. It's about the promise of the Savior coming through the lineage of a specific people that God had promised the Messiah would come through. And it's also about how God worked through people that were not the most God-fearing, law-abiding, on-fire-for-him, perfect cookie-cutter followers. It's about how God worked through sinful people and their sinful actions to bring about his plan of salvation. Now, I won't highlight them all because that would be everyone. But let's talk about a few of them in Jesus' genealogy. If you start at the beginning, we see Adam. You know him. He's responsible for bringing sin into the world. That falls upon him. Now, there are very many people that are quick to blame the woman, Eve, just like Adam did. But Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Through one man comes sin. And, it, and as a result of all of this, we are born into sin. Because we are born of sinful parents who passed sin down to us. As David writes in Psalm 51, 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is original sin, which comes from our original parents, Adam and Eve. We all have it. And it's not, it's not just sin that Adam, Adam brings into the world. He also brings death because of sin. The result of Adam's sin is that we are no longer perfect. Our bodies have all kinds of issues. We go through all kinds of suffering in this world, on this earth. And eventually our bodies will break down and die. But that's not all. Because when we talk about death, we're not just talking physical death. What mankind deserves as a result of our sin is also eternal death. It's hell. Or as Paul continues on in Romans 5, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Or the next chapter that we use so often is, For the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is condemnation. We are condemned to death and hell. Thanks, Adam. But we also have to take responsibility for our own actions, for our own sin, because all of us sin. So ultimately, we are just as responsible as Adam. And we are all responsible for the punishment that we deserve. And ultimately, blaming somebody else for the reason why we sin doesn't really work out so well. Just ask Adam, who famously blamed not one, but two people. The woman who you gave to be with me, God, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So that's Adam, first in our genealogy. And let's highlight a few more, but we'll go through them a little quicker. Jacob stole his brother's birthright with a pot of soup and stole their father's blessing by deception, by dressing up as his elder brother with his mom's help. Judah slept with who he thought was a prostitute, but it was really his widowed daughter-in-law who tricked him because he hadn't given his other son to her in marriage like he was supposed to. Then when she got pregnant, he was going to have her killed until he found out she had his child. Speaking of prostitutes, Rahab, mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, was a prostitute. And finally, we'll get to King David, who slept with another man's wife, and when she got pregnant, he ended up having the husband killed in war to cover up his own sin. And then he took her as his wife. They eventually had Solomon. Solomon, as you know, the wisest of all the land. The point is, God can use anyone. Prostitutes, adulterers, murderers. He can use the worst of sinners to accomplish his purposes and plans. And all of these, down the line, lead us to Jesus, who was only born of one human parent, his mother Mary, the Virgin, and who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the sinless Son of God. He is both fully man and fully God. The one who had been promised immediately after Adam sinned, who would crush the serpent's head. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross for us, where he died for the sins of all mankind, of all of us, for our adultery and our murder and our lies 
and our stealing and our hatred and our disobedience. He took the sins of the world, your sins and mine, and he put them on himself. And he became our atonement, our sacrifice, giving up his life, taking our death, our condemnation, and taking our hell. Jesus took hell for us. Not because we deserved it, that there is anything good in us because there isn't, but he did it because he knew it was the only way to rescue us, to save us from sin and death. And in his resurrection from the dead, he proved that he had defeated sin, death, and the devil once and for all. His resurrection opens the door to eternal life. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ are those who believe in Jesus. And this verse is important when I think about the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy, which said this in verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Everything we know about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us is something that we are to make known to our children and our children's children. They say that faith is never more than one generation away from extinction. That's because people forget important truths from one generation to the next when they're not passed down. You can think about it this way. It's like if your parents grew up in the faith, they grew up believing in Jesus, but as they got older, they started to walk away from it. And by the time they had you, it was no longer important to them. And the words of God, God's word, departed from their heart. And as a result, they never bring you to church. You never hear the word of God. You never hear the story of Jesus, the life-saving, life-changing message of the gospel. And then when you get married and you have your own children, what can you expect them to do? Will they all of a sudden start bringing them to church when you never had anything to do with it? That's why they say faith is never more than one generation away from extinction. Yet God can use us, the worst of sinners, sinners like you and me, who are saved by God's grace through faith to accomplish his purposes, his plans, that others may know him, believe in him, and have eternal life. In our individual lives, we have Satan doing everything in his power to lead us away from Christ, tempting us to give into temptation and sin, just like he's been doing from the beginning with Adam and Eve, so that every generation will hopefully fall away. That's what he wants. We have the world, the world that doesn't believe in Christ, feeding us the message that we don't need God in our life, that we don't need God to do anything because we can do all things for ourselves, that we're just fine without somebody tell us, telling us the things that we can and can't do, that we're just fine without having to be saved and rescued. You don't need somebody to rescue you because you're not some damsel in distress. 
You are strong and independent and don't need anybody else in your life. And you also have your sinful flesh, that sinful nature in you that's from original sin that wants nothing to do with God. This is the reality that all of us face. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh all want to lead us away from God so that none of us are in Christ. And if, as Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can reason that there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. This is what the devil wants. This is not what God wants. He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that's why he's given us his armor. When we think about the things that we make known, that we teach to our children and our children's children, we go to that armor of God in Ephesians. And we start off with the belt of truth. Truth to counter the lies that the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh tell us that we're not good enough, that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't care about us, that he's not real. And then we have the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate to cover all of our vital organs so that we do not lose heart that we do not lose all that we have been taught and given, as Deuteronomy had mentioned. And righteousness is what we are clothed with in baptism. We put on Christ's righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, as he washes us clean through the water and the word. Today, he placed that upon Jonah. And all of you, who are baptized, Christ has placed his righteousness upon you. You received that breastplate of righteousness. And then you have shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes to stand in. And we stand upon the word of God. We stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And learning it, being taught it, prepares us for battle. So that we are always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We speak the truth of the gospel, of Christ's death and resurrection, his death and resurrection, which brings us peace. And we speak it to those who don't know him and to those who ask us about our faith. Because God can use even people like you and me to accomplish his purposes and his plans. Speaking of faith, we have the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now back in this time, they had leather-covered shields that were dipped in water before battle so that they could extinguish flaming, flaming arrows. Baptism is our constant reminder that we have been washed in the water and we have been marked by one redeemed by Christ the crucified and that we have been called by name and that we are his. Just like today, Jonah was called by name and Christ made him his. And in faith that we have been given, in faith, no one can take us away from Christ.
and our faith is a guarantee of our salvation as we have the helmet of salvation placed upon us by God who has given us the gift of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit which brings us to that sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God and we know that the Word of the Lord endures forever it cannot be defeated as we bring our children to the waters of baptism as we teach them the Word of God he places his armor upon them to protect them all of the days of their life as they grow in faith and as they come to the Lord's Supper they receive that forgiveness that life that salvation again as they teach their children more armor is placed because God can use sinners like you and me sinners who have been saved by him to accomplish his purposes to accomplish his plans so that every generation as you look at your family's genealogy that every one of them will find their names written in God's book of life and it is he who will work in you and it is he who will bring that work to completion that all who believe will have eternal life amen now the peace of god which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in jesus christ our lord and our savior amen